Good morning, good news. My name is John Schwinghammer. I'm one of the elders here. And with me, I have my good friend Ivy Shulkers here. We've got a couple of announcements, but we just want to welcome you. Um, glad that you're here in person, watching online. Is that really loud? No? Am I good? Okay. All right. It sounds loud to me, so I'm not used to this. Um, in front of you guys in the seats, there is a Connect card. If you guys would grab this out and just fill us in. If you're visiting, if you've been here, come in a couple times just so we can get to know you. And uh, there's also... You can check if you want to have lunch with the pastor. That's pretty awesome. And we got a couple of announcements coming up too, so if you can fill out the card out if you're interested in doing some of these things. So the next one is Compass. So building your finances God way. So Gene Sass and I are going to be hosting a class that's coming up here next month that's going to meet on Wednesday nights. Childcare will be provided. But really it's to build your finances the way that God has intended. And so everything that's here on earth is gods and God created everything so one of those things that is his is the finances and, and the money that you know we are stewards of for the time that we're here and really what this is it's a Bible study to go through like how to um, just manage the finances in God's way so it's it's really more of a Bible study and uh, just to understand how God wants us to um, manage his finances here not like Tithing is the one component of it, but also just throughout our normal life and, and how to really grow and uh, just, yeah. So it's, it's a really cool class that we're going to be hosting on Wednesday nights. Here's the information. The book costs $50 um, for that, and I just encourage you guys to consider it, pray for it, and if you're interested, fill it out on the card. Thank you. Okay, so one event that we have coming up at our Wildwood campus, but it's for the whole church, is Hello Fall. And my family went to Hello Fall last year thinking it would be another great fall festival, but it was so much better. Um, there was dinner for the family, there's bouncy houses, lots of trunks and candy, there's a chili cook-off, um, and most importantly, there's opportunities for people to hear the gospel at different stations. So if you would like to participate, you can go and just have fun. You can um, take your Connect card and sign up to either have a trunk and decorate it in theme and provide candy. Or there's even a chili cook-off you could compete in, so bring a crock pot of chili. So take your Connect card, sign up. They've got 15 spots reserved for WGV families this year, so I want to make sure we fill those spots. Okay, so this coming Friday night is Girls' Night in our student ministry. We did one of these a little while back on our identity in Christ, and this week we're going to talk about image bearing and what um, the, the world is trying to tell our girls to make an image for themselves, but God has already given them theirs. So we're going to turn to Scripture to look at that. If you'd like to come or to sign your middle school or high school girls up, you can RSVP to me or just let me know. And we also have our father-daughter dance coming up. So there's some cards laying around with a QR code you can scan. This is a really special night. Lots of memories made for dads and daughters. So sign up for the father-daughter dance. Well, my name is Dave, and I'm the campus pastor here at our World Golf Village campus. I invite you to grab your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, we continue our study through the book of 2 Timothy this morning in chapter 3. I'm going to read the first nine verses, and then I'll pray, and we'll jump into this study together. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, 
arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Jonas's and Jambres's folly was also. The word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's spend just a moment in prayer. Father, Open our hearts and minds to understand and apply the truth of this, your word, to our hearts this morning. And Lord, there's parts of us that just resist the truth of your word. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be stronger than our flesh this morning, that you would enable us to have eyes to see Jesus in this passage, and you would give us faith that you are the truth, Jesus. I pray for those who are here who who have never understood the gospel and I pray that you would give them ears to hear their need of Jesus and then give them faith to believe and trust in Christ alone as he's offered in the gospel. And I pray for those of us who have been following Jesus for many years that Lord you would help us, that you would help us to stay true to him who is our king. And Lord we thank you for the truthfulness of your word, and we trust you to work through it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the last uh, Calvin and Hobbes cartoon that was ever printed. It um, was printed as the final uh, cartoon, and and you'll see in the cartoon that Calvin and Hobbes are are enjoying a beautiful, wonderful, snow-filled day. Wow, it really snowed last night. Isn't it wonderful? Everything familiar has disappeared. The the world looks brand new. A new year, a fresh, clean start. It's like having a big white sheet of paper to draw on. A day full of possibilities. It's a magical world, Hobbes, old buddy. Let's go exploring. And so Calvin and Hobbes ends. Two friends going out into a beautiful world to explore God's good creation. 
Would you like to have that kind of hope? What, listen, would you like to wake up every morning with a friend who loves you? Would you like to wake up every morning with the joyful expectation that the best is yet to come? Would you like to have hope like that? The Bible tells the story of God's amazing love and grace, and the Bible tells one story from beginning to end, and it's a story of hope that the best really is yet to come. You say, well, Dave, my life's not a cartoon. My life isn't either. You say, you don't know the things I've done. You don't know the things I've done. Listen, all of us could use some hope this morning. And, and what we need, what we need is to be convinced. Convinced of the hope of the gospel that this book, the Bible, tells us the best is yet to come and we can believe it. We really, really can. The Apostle Paul, he wasn't living a cartoon. He was living real life in a real world where his gospel was really, really hated. The Apostle Paul is writing from prison. He wrote some of his earlier letters from house arrest in Rome, living in rented quarters. People would come and visit him. He would tell them about Jesus. Many of them would follow Jesus. And it was a pretty good life. You read that in the last chapter of the book of Acts. But now Paul is not in rented house, a rented house. Now Paul is in a prison, a prison prison chained and anticipating any day now his life on earth will be taken from him and he will move from this life to the life to come and he has hope he has hope and paul again and again reminds the church to have hope in first corinthians chapter 15 verse 58 one of my favorite verses. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Stand firm. Stand firm in the gospel. Or chapter 16, verse 13, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Stand firm, stand firm in the faith, stand firm in the gospel. That's what we're going to learn this morning. It's our point and it's our action step. Stand firm firm in the gospel stand firm now back in second timothy chapter three the passage i just read paul is going to tell us why we should stand firm in the gospel he's going to give us four reasons in this passage and then he's going to tell us how 
we can stand firm in the gospel. And that's what I want us to see so that we can have hope and stand firm in the gospel. Now, why should we stand firm in the gospel? Well, chapter 3, verse 1 begins with the truth that we are now living in the last days and difficult times will come. Now, what does Paul mean by we are living in the last days? Well, let me explain that from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, turn there, and we're going to see that we are living in the last days and have been living in the last days from the moment that Jesus stepped into the world in his first coming. Acts chapter 2, verse 14, Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, and it shall be in the last days. God says that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. We're living in the last days. The prophecy of Joel has been fulfilled. We're living in the last days. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. We're living now in the last days. From Jesus' first breath on this earth until today, the church has been in the last days. And the next great event, the next great event and the unfolding of these last days is the return of Christ when Jesus will come to judge the world and establish the final state of things. And the only question the only question is whether we are living in a young church or an old church. If we're living in a young church, then it'll still be many years before Jesus comes again. But we're in the last days. We're in the last days living in a young church or an old church. If we're in an old church, Jesus could come back at any moment. And if we live in the last days, if we live in the last days, we should stand firm in the gospel. We should stand firm in the gospel. Because what did Acts 2 say has been given on the earth to the church and to the world? The Holy Spirit. Just as Joel promised, the Holy Spirit has been given and we live in the age of the Spirit in the last days, and the Spirit is active in the world. Stand firm in the gospel. The Spirit is the one who tells us 
just how much we need Jesus and then gives us the ability to repent and believe the gospel. It's the age of the Spirit, and the Spirit has been given to make us holy, to give us the desire and the power to live as followers of Christ should. We live in the last days. The Spirit has been given. We live in the last days. Stand firm in the gospel. What's the gospel? The good news that Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We live now in the age of Jesus, and Jesus is king. Jesus is king over all things. We live in the last days, so stand firm in the gospel. That's reason number one. Why should we stand firm in the gospel? Because we live in the last days. Why should we stand firm in the gospel? We should stand firm in the gospel. In verses 2 and 3 and 4, Paul goes on to list a really stark inventory of just how badly we need Jesus. The problem isn't out there. The problem is, is in here. It's, it's in each of us that each of us have a tendency to get life wrong. Now, we're not going to walk through each of these inventories of the life that Paul diagnoses, but I want you to notice the basic problem that's happened in this list. The basic problem is disordered love. Did you see what was first in the list? Love of self. Did you see what was last in the list? Love of God. You see, the problem with, with each of us is that our loves are, are naturally disordered. Rather than having love of God first and love of self last, our flesh, our sinful nature, reverses, disorders our love so that we love self first and we love God last. That's the basic problem that Paul diagnoses in verses 2 through 4, a disordered love. Now, James Smith, who's a professor at Calvin College, James K.A. Smith wrote a book entitled, You Are What You Love so helpful and in it he says this following Jesus is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than knowing and believing Jesus's command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his to want what God wants to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. A vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God, or you could say a vision encapsulated by the gospel, the good news. So why should we stand firm in the gospel? Because only the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, can reorder 
and reestablish our affections so that our hearts will be moved to love God first and self last. Only the gospel can reorder the affections of our heart so that Jesus points us to the Father and his love and Jesus shows us his love for us so that we would be satisfied by his love, not craving, not longing, not hungering for love any longer, and experiencing in our lives the devastation that comes from that disordered affection, but instead loving and experiencing the love of Jesus in the gospel so that our affections, our loves, can be set back rightly. So that we would love God with all our heart and love others as we love ourselves. So that our affections would be rightly ordered. Why should we stand firm in the gospel? Because we have disordered loves. Why should we stand firm in the gospel? Look at verse, look at the next verse. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. Those, uh, sorry, verse 4. Yeah, verse 5. God, these numbers are so small. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. What's happening? Well, I've shared with you before the quote by Francis Schaeffer, where Francis Schaeffer says the real problem in the world is not whatever the ism is that the world is currently using to reject the gospel, and there are many, but the real problem in the world is with the church. The real problem is the church trying to do life and ministry without the power of God. See, the real problem is religion. Religion is man seeking to live a moral, ethical life apart from the power of God offered in the gospel. And why should we stand firm in the gospel? Because religion will not work. John Stott, John Stott in his commentary on 2 Timothy says this, in the history of humanity, although this is a shameful thing to have to admit, religion and morality have been more often divorced than married. Religion Religion can never give us what our hearts long for. Religion can never assure us of our standing before God. Religion is spelled D-O, do. But Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E, done. It's been done for us by Jesus. What is the gospel? The gospel is that God saves sinners through Jesus, that he has done it all for us. 
Why should we stand firm in the gospel? Because religion, doing, will not give us what we need. And finally, the fourth reason Paul gives in this passage, not only should we stand firm in the gospel because we live in the last days, we should stand firm in the gospel. We should stand firm in the gospel because of our disordered loves. We should stand firm in the gospel because religion can't save us. We should stand firm in the gospel because heresy and error spread. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 17, we saw a few weeks ago that false teaching and heresy spreads like gangrene. And because false teaching and heresy spreads, you see it again in verses 5 and 6, it spreads from house to house. These religious teachers are just zealous to take their false gospel, their heresy, from door to door. Sound familiar? They're taking their heresy, their false teaching, door to door, and telling people false truths that cannot save. And Paul says, since falsehood, heresy, untruth spreads like gangrene, since it moves from door to door, we should stand firm in the gospel. We should stand firm in the gospel. Now, how? How do we stand firm in the gospel? We'll go down to verse 8. Go to verse 8. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected in regard to the faith. If we're going to stand firm in the gospel, how do we do it? We stand firm in the gospel when we believe that the gospel is the truth. The truth. A few weeks ago, I was in Greenville, where my mother and father-in-law live. And, and my mother-in-law, I, I had bought lunch for all of us. And uh, so she... Uh, felt like she had to pay me back. It was fine. So she paid me back in cash. I was happy for that. But, but when she handed me the cash, something felt off about one of the 20s that she gave me. I thought, what is, what is this? It was a $20 bill from 1950. That's when it first went into circulation. And it felt so strange in my hand. It didn't feel like it was made on the right paper. It didn't feel like it was, it was uh, the right size. It, it didn't have that crispness of a new $20 bill. Jackson was just kind of the wrong size. It didn't have that little strip. I thought about saying, hey, do you have another one? <laughs> Not sure this is really legal tender. That seemed a little ungrateful. When you have gotten to know Jesus, anything that's not Jesus seems strange to your heart. When you've come to know the truth, Jesus Christ, then everything else, 
Everything else feels strange to the touch. When you've gotten to know Jesus, the truth, then everything else rings hollow in your ear. That doesn't sound like Jesus. So how do we stand firm in the gospel? We get to know Jesus, the truth. We agree with God about the truthfulness, the truthfulness of the gospel. Now the gospel is the truth, and the gospel has bad news. The truth about us is exactly what Paul says in verses 2 through 4. It is not a complimentary inventory of the human heart. Would you agree? Would you agree that, that the inventory that Paul gives in 2 Timothy 3, 2, 3, and 4 is not a complimentary description of the human heart? Would you agree that a person with, with that sort of heart who tried to stand before a holy, holy, holy God would be in big trouble? Jesus, <coughs> Jesus pointed out the same thing in Matthew chapter 22. A religious scribe came to him in Matthew chapter 22 and asked him, what do I do? What do I do to live the life that God wants me to live? Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And the problem with human sin is that our disordered affection, our disordered loves have caused the law and the prophets to crumble down. And in thought and word and deed, we failed to do what the law and the prophets command us to do, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself. And we've left undone. We've left undone those things that God in his word invites us to do. And so the bad news of the gospel, the truth, if you're willing to accept it, is that the inventory that Paul uses in verses 2 through 4 is true of me. And it's true of you too. But the truth of the gospel has good news. And the good news of the gospel, the thing that can reorder our affections, is the love of God expressed in the person of Jesus. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Could we agree? Could we agree that every single one of us would long to be loved? Could we agree that, that every single one of us would, would long to believe that there is a God who, who loves us. 
Did you hear what this God has done for us? He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you know what that means? It means that Jesus Christ on the cross, all of our disordered affections, all of our failures to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of the things that we've left undone that the Bible calls sin, God took all of our sin and he put it on Jesus, his son. And he punished him in our place. The wrath of God that was due us for our sin was poured out on Jesus Christ. That's what propitiation means. The satisfaction of the wrath of God by Jesus becoming our substitute on the cross. This is no sentimental love. This is not a Hallmark card. This is God choosing to satisfy his justice, not by pouring out his justice on us, though we deserve it, but instead choosing to pour out his justice on his son in our place, even though he did not deserve it. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel is that we needed, we needed a substitute. And Jesus has become that substitute. The truth of the gospel is the one thing that can reorder our affections and bring us into a forever relationship with our Father in heaven. And the truth of the gospel is married to the faith in the Son. Is that true of you? See, we not only, not only embrace the truth with our minds, but we embrace the truth with our lives. We entrust ourselves to a person, Jesus Christ. The faith, the faith means saying, Jesus, I have no other hope but you. Jesus, you're my propitiation. You're my sacrifice. You're the one that I put my trust in, my hope in. I believe you lived and died and rose again. It means committing our ways to Jesus. It means trusting him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Do you know him? The truth? Jesus Christ, a person. Paul doesn't say, I know that I believed. That would be faith and faith. He doesn't say, I know when I believed. That would be temporary faith. He doesn't say, I know what I believe. That would be head knowledge. He says, I know 
whom I've believed. Saving faith is trusting in a person, Jesus Christ. Have you? Won't you? A good news, we love to say it's as simple as ABC. To admit the bad news of the gospel is true of me. To believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again. And to commit our ways to him as Savior and Lord. Won't you? And if you have, if you have, look at verse 9 of 2 Timothy 3. They will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also. If that's true, follower of Jesus, do you know what's also true? If verse 9 is true, that those who reject Jesus, they won't make it, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you will. Verse 9 promises that if you're a follower of Jesus, he'll carry you all the way through. Will difficult times come? Of course, we're in the last days. Stand firm in the gospel. Oh, Dave, my heart is so disordered. You don't know what I've done this week. Oh, stand firm in the gospel. Oh, heresy, false teaching is spreading like gangrene. Stand firm in the gospel. Oh, religion won't work. Stand firm in the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, help us. Help us, I pray, to to treasure you, Jesus, above all else to experience your love. Oh, Jesus, as we come to this table, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to discern in a fresh way just what you did to secure eternal life for us. Jesus, Jesus, if there's any here who have never put their trust in you, and you're working in their hearts, would you give them the ability to to embrace these truths from the heart and say them to you? And, And if that's you, won't you say to Jesus now, Jesus, I admit to you that I have sinned against you in many ways, and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe that you lived the life that I should have lived. Jesus, I believe you died the death I deserve to die. Jesus, I believe you rose bodily from the dead. Come into my life as Savior and Lord. Help me become the person you want me to be. Jesus, thank you that though those who oppose you will go from bad to worse, Those who trust in you, those who trust in you will not be put to shame, but will have reason to say with your people through all the ages, the best is yet to come. I pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.